I'm Vince. And I'm Travis. And we're about to ruin your games and stuff. This is Travis! Welcome to Undesign. Hi, Travis. How you doing today? Hey, Vinny. I'm stupid today, yo. Yes, like like as we said, early '90s rap stupid, not just normal yes, stupid. Yes, not. I'm not just stupid, stupid. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm stupid as in as in in the uh, the positive. Right. Exactly. Ah, uh, the fun in times the, of the yeah. late '80s and early '90s, where we took all the words that meant bad things and made them be good things. That was fun. Yep. Cool. All right. Now we got that out of the way. That's uh, well, you know what's stupid? I rolled a one. <laughs> I rolled a one today on the uh, the random chart to find out what we we're going to talk about. So we never thought we'd hit the one because, you know, who rolls a one out of 79? But, you know, shit happens, right? So here we go, right? What, number one. Tell us what number one is, Vince. Number one is ability scores. We're going to talk about ability scores. This is the first thing I wrote when I made our randomized list to generate You must have really wanted to talk about ability scores, huh? I think it was just the thing that's on the top of my mind, which I suppose makes sense. Ability scores are generally the top of your mind in a game, right? Like... I guess that's what comes first in most, uh, in most, uh, I would call classic cases of RPGs. Yeah. Well, you really just touched on something that I wanted to get into. So, I, I assume everybody who's listening to this probably knows what an ability score is, right? Attributes, etc. Yeah, in D and D, they would be your classic strength, dex, con, intelligence, wisdom, charisma. But of course, there have been many, many, many representations of this concept, you know, through the years. Uh, I think of like, um, I think of, I think it was big eyes, small mouth that used body, mind and spirit, right? So there, there's lots of different ways this has been sort of split up or, you know, thought about or, or attacked. Yeah. Uh, some with less, some with more. Our old friend Riffs, obviously with its, you know, took kind of the D&D scores. Eight, I think maybe, I don't know. Yeah. I think it was eight. Eight sounds right. Yeah. They took kind of the D&D scores and, and expanded them a little, right, is really what happened. They sure did. Um, it, that's a big deal uh, when it comes to ability scores, too, in, in uh, RPGs. It makes a big difference in, uh, in your game and how it, uh, it kind of rolls out to your readers um, when you define, like, the number of ability scores you're going to use, right? Because ability scores basically are just giving a kind of a hard differentiation between things in your world. You know, something really solid from which to draw inspiration or flesh out your character or whatever. Um, and it, it, throughout all, all of the uh, gaming history, they appear in different numbers, larger or smaller numbers of ability scores to make, you know, to, to show these hard de- definitions that define characters and things in your world. Um, and so, you know, at, at the high end of the spectrum with, uh, with more uh, ability scores, you get like uh, more depth and more, more of that solid difference between character to one character to the next within a numbered system. Um, but it also adds a lot more complexity in, so remembering what each ability score pertains to in the world and how to apply it in the world and the characters that live, that live in that world, whatever, uh, or how, how those ability scores work in, in tandem with, say, skills, if your game has skills or not, if they just act as skills alone. Uh, I'm sure we're going to get into that a little bit more later. Um, but then smaller numbers create a, a much wider scope per ability, making the game more fast and loose, usually, you know, generally speaking, so that you can you can apply these rules very quickly and easily remember them. Uh, there's a lot less calculation involved, it's, and so on. Yeah, no, that's really, I think it's really, in, you're exactly right. You know, and I think about, um, so do you remember at the, in the later years of second edition, when we got the expanded ability scores, right, where like, 
every strength or dex or whatever broke into two specific ability scores. So I remember like dexterity broke into like, you know, sort of one that was about general speed and what we would think of as being like a gymnast, right? Like being able to flippy dippy hippie around, right? Mm -hmm. Versus sort of a manual dexterity of like, you know, being able to type really fast or, or, you know, manipulate fine objects, right? The kind of like you can picture an old huddled watchmaker leaning down who has incredible sort of manual dexterity, right? Where his fingers are like a, a perfect instrument that he can assemble these tiny gears with, but that guy's not doing flips anytime soon. Right. He, yeah, he's, he's not, he's not dodging in arrows or bullets or whatever happens to be in his world. Right. Probably not great on the uneven bars. Um, and, and so like, that's where this, it's really funny. There's so many things that come to my mind with ability scores. I, I almost, uh, overwhelmed as to where to start. I think you kind of summed up a nice, like, what they tend to do. And I think you're right. They act as this mechanical differentiation that sort of sums up your character, right? I am strong. I am yeah. fast. I am tough. Whatever. They're they're very descriptive without having to actually be descriptive, uh, you know, in a, in a, uh, a story sense. You know, you're not, you're not actually telling a story of a character, but if you look at these numbers, you can begin to get a picture in your head, at least, at the very minimum. Um, and it's a great place to start in most games because it gives you that idea from which to build on. Um, if you're not starting concept first, you start ability score first. Yeah, and it's interesting because they don't always... What, what that makes me think of is, do those numbers really, truly represent anything measurable in... Here's what I mean by that. This has always been a point of contention for me. So uh, I think of like, this is a, a slight digression, but so if any of our listeners also happen to know like the agile methodology of product development, you when you're doing work in that, you put story points on things. And the points use the Fibonacci sequence, right? So 1, 2, 3, 5, 8, 13, 21. And the points don't represent anything except as comparisons to each other. You understand what I mean? Like, there's I'm no... I'm totally with you. I'm not sure if our listeners are, but uh, keep on going. Okay, let me make this more real. There's no real-world measure I can put at. Like, for instance, an inch is a real-world measure, right? Like, I can pick up a thing in the world and say, this is an inch long, regardless of whether or not I have a measuring stick. Um, or I can say it's a couple inches Indeed. long or something. Yeah. Um, things are this long. The units... That, that we're talking about here that I was describing in this in this development methodology or your ability scores don't necessarily have to have a real world parallel, right? Like if right. I, they can, they, they don't can. have to. They don't have to, right? Exactly. Because so, you can measure an amount of strength. Like this is a thing that's you know it's commonly done in in athletic science uh, is is measuring strength and, and endurance and things like that. This, these things can be measured and numbers can be put to them, but that doesn't mean that one can also put a number or a measurement on someone's how charismatic someone is like exactly like, exactly yep. how charming are you i'm a four how about you you know what i mean exactly yeah this right, is so I think exact, that's I mean. yeah it's exactly what i mean this is the sort of it's the weird dichotomy like this always bothered me in D, &D stats some games don't have this because when you go to like a big eye small mouth and you've got body mind and spirit what is a body of seven or a spirit of you know two right like it doesn't what you know or or a die of like i have a body of a d8 like some games the, we'll talk there's other ways that these can be represented we'll talk about alternate representations for ability scores well but they there's no there's no thing i can point to in the real world that what that means right 
Well, I think I feel like uh, it becomes more of that. It becomes more more kind of an esoteric idea when you when you narrow your ability scores down to the small end of the, the the shorter end of the spectrum that I was speaking about earlier. The less you have, the more more ground they cover, and the less that you have the ability to put a kind of number or or something against it. You know what I mean? Any kind of actual measurement. Yeah, maybe. I I don't know if I draw the line there. I mean, I think you're. Probably I'm just saying right. this is a pot. This is a, this is. I'm not saying this is an absolute. I'm just saying this is a right. Uh, a, a trend that I have noticed. Okay, sure. The, the three things you just mentioned covered so many things. Right. Uh, body, mind, spirit. Um, but they cover so many things that I can't put a number to it because that number may be different from thing to thing within that that uh, that part of of that ability. Right. Yeah, uh, whereas what, what, strength and dexterity, I can probably figure out ways to put number on, numbers on these things, you know? Yeah, to me, it's always been, here's what's funny about it. I think the mental stats pose so many more challenges than the physical ones. Even putting a number on dexterity is tough to me. Like, intelligence has sometimes represented IQ. And so the idea being like every point of intelligence some kind of IQ score. Although that's not accurate because theoretically these those ability score numbers increase at least somewhat linearly uh, right whereas, whereas iq does not <laughs> like right that's, that's not how it works yes somebody with like a 180 iq is is not versus somebody with like a 140 iq is not the same delta as somebody with a 140 iq versus a 100 iq Right, not to say that that can't be built into your ability score generation, but right. uh, most don't. That's just, yeah. I mean, and most historically have not done that. So I think that having, I, I think to me, my thought as a designer is when I think of ability scores, they either need to be sunk to some real world measure or not. Like that's, I, I think that is something where classic D&D fell down. It shouldn't be a mix of the two. Okay. Um that's that's sort of my feeling on it. Just for well, there is a devaluation of a one one or one of the one of the other side. Like something something is devalued now. What that is because it's going to change from game to game, right? So what, what what was devalued in you know old Dungeons and Dragons editions where you know you you can actually put actual real real life numbers on some of the stats and not on others. It devalues certain things in a certain way because of the way that world and that game works. You know, charisma was was a uh, a perpetual dump stat for Dungeons and Dragons for a long time. Yep. Um, because you just can't, I mean, it's, it's something you can't numerate, right? So it's like, I don't know. All right. Yeah. What did it, well, yes, especially when we were playing and you didn't really tend to bring along a lot of henchmen and followers with you into the dungeon as you might have in like first edition D and D right. Where the idea was yeah. when you went into a dungeon, you had 30 other people with you, you know, uh, and that charisma was obviously a major pull on that sort of thought, but you you didn't do that. Um, so here's here's what I want to say. I, let me ask this question. We'll just suddenly change gears here in the middle. Are ability scores really necessary, Trav? Could you design a game without any concept of ability scores? Could you just move straight to like having, I don't know, skills or something, let's say? I uh, I don't know skills skills are just ability scores, uh, but that that are at the 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 hard extreme in sure. most cases, right? It's just yep. it's just more ability scores. These are abilities, and here are the scores you are getting for these abilities. You know what I mean? Like that's what that is exactly what skills are. Can't so can you make a game without ability scores? Yes, um, it, it, you you're probably making a game in which um, at that point though, in in which it's not an important thing to 
to decide outcomes um, more than tell a story. It's probably a, like a deep storytelling game where everyone is collaboratively deciding how things end up as opposed to having any kind of competitive aspect within you know, rolling dice or, you know, your, your uh, resolution mechanics, uh, because those resolution mechanics probably don't exist in the kind of format that you're, you would expect in a game that does include ability scores and skills, right? Does that, that, I think that sounds right to me. I don't know. I feel like I could do it. I could pull it off. I, I think you're exactly right. I know of a couple sort of smaller narrative, you know, games that don't use any kind of scores, and I think you're dead on. I think that their, their usefulness is at a certain sort of point on the on the spectrum, right, of rules light to crunchy. At a certain point in the spectrum, they do, they maybe don't become a necessity, but they become sort of easiest tool in the toolbox to utilize to sort of govern the crunch of your of your game, right? There, I think so yeah, you've got a nail. You could hammer a nail with a lot of different things. But the hammer is the most, is the easiest, right? That's basically what I'm saying. Like, yeah, we could hammer a nail in a couple other ways, but why not just use the hammer is, I think, how most games tend to be designed, especially since your, your players, your readers, obviously, or honestly, I think, come to the game with an expectation that that kind of thing is going to exist if the game is more crunchy, Right. Because so many games use them that yeah, they've just it's, become it's an almost, expectation. It's not just an expect. It's yeah, it's definitely an expectation that that everyone who ha- who looks at anything that says RPG on it or role playing on it, that's what they expect. Like there's going to be ability scores. That's just how it's going to go down. Um, they may not be called ability scores, but there are going to be ability scores. You know, they may just be might just be called skills or perks or whatever. It could be called anything, but if it's an ability and it has some kind of stat that defines a resol- defines how that's resolved within the world, then it's an ability score. Like people just expect it, and um, they're not wrong for expecting it uh, because, especially because I feel like you know anybody who's not looking for games that have that kind of a resolution mechanics you know within them are looking. It's a it's a it's a, a niche kind of thing going on there where people are, you know, it's a smaller group of people and they're looking for a very specific type of game. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. There's and, and there's lots of interesting takes on them. Our, our classic conception is obviously just numbers, the sort of the the, the very strange uh, D&D where we're pinned between three and 18 because right there's no just because yeah. that's what 3D6 generates. Um, D6 is obviously being the original designers of D&D's favorite dice because those were what was often used in war games. Right. Yeah. And so they just adopted the most common die at the time. But obviously, since then, I've seen a lot of other takes on on ability scores, both as numbers and ranges. Uh, I think at the Serenity or Firefly, like the prop, I don't remember which one it is. It's been multiple RPGs based on this property, but one of them used the dice mechanic as ability scores. So where you know your ability score is a def- Um, obviously, that's not the only game that's done that. It's just one of them that's out there. Um, but when I, when I think about sort of ability scores and how they play out, right, how they get defined, um, and then how they get brought to bear in the game, I think that they're one of those things that beyond simply their game use, right, which is certainly like, they're then going to flesh out and they're usually the foundational element of your mechanical resolution system, as you said. 
But I think beyond that, they have an amazing psychological utility, right? I think that, and tell me if this is true for you, but when you've got a character that's got a really good score in some stat, especially in a game where that is maybe randomly generated as opposed to chosen, but even if it's not, even if it's chosen, it it becomes sort of an immediate point of pride for your character. It really does get into your head and kind of define how you think about yourself. Do you think yeah, that's true? You, you, yeah, absolutely. Um, whenever you have a really high ability score or higher than, say, the rest of your surrounding group, then you immediately feel like you have a place. You have a place within that group. You have a, a purpose. You have a specific purpose even. Like, I can, I can now give this to, to the group around me and show them that I, I am contributing. Like, I am absolutely contributing because I do this better than anybody else can do it. So when this this situation arises where I need to use that ability in specific, then I you, you know the rest of the group can look to you and you can be like, yep, I got it because I got it. Yeah, in the same way, I think hyper low scores are just as definitive, right? And often just as as uh, what do I want to say motivational in these sorts of situations you're describing, right? Just like you said, when the situation comes up, you can be like, well, I got this. I think in the same way yeah, with those same hyper low scores, you can be like, look, definitely you don't want me on this, right? Because yeah, I, I cannot help you. Right. So I think the ultimate crime really is sort of like the average stats, right? Where you're just like, meh, I'm okay at this. That's the least interesting outcome. You need them. You need to have some averages probably in any kind of standard ability spread. But uh, yeah, but it, highs and lows are very important. That's, yeah. that's an important part because if everybody's average, then whatever, who cares? Like, what, yes. why are we even playing? Yeah, I agree. exactly. I totally agree with that. Um, and for the most part, uh, I, I would say, you know, ha having 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 somewhat rare highs and lows is still just fine in a game, uh, as long as they, you know, you you have enough variation within within every game and every group size. But highs and lows, you gotta have them. Gotta have them. You gotta have them. So, so let's let's talk for a moment about uh, random ability score generation versus because uh, because I feel like if we didn't cover this, we would be remiss. This has been this is such a thorny topic in the history of of our. And obviously, this comes out of again this this comes out of our our, our source D and D, where originally the concept was you you randomly generated your scores. Yeah, out of dice. Yeah, people really have gone back and forth about this uh, forever, basically, uh, as far as RPGs go. And uh, I've always come down on the side of I don't, I don't, yeah, I like both. So, like, I'm like, I'm just like, I enjoy both personally. And so, if I'm going to write a game, if I'm if I'm designing a game, developing a game, whatever, um, I go with whichever whichever feels right for the game itself. And this is another one of those things that we we commonly talk about these uh, the the way you the way you put mechanics into your game will immediately define how your game's going to feel to the players that you're building the game for. Um, and this is another one of those situations where if you just choose your ability scores, um, that gives you gives your players a really strong sense of control over what they what they can build and how they can build it. And uh, there's uh, 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 some, something psychological about that that, that that really defines how your game's going to feel. And then if you have like random you it's it's kind of a game in itself it's like oh boy it's time to see who's gonna be what this time around because we're gonna roll and dice are dice guess what they're random like some some crazy fun stuff's gonna happen here right 
Exactly. No, I think you're dead on. I, this debate rages forever, and I see it all the time, people talking about it and, and talking about how one system is better than the other. That's I, the main problem is the better than. It's, it's just not. It's just a different thing. It's, you know. Exactly. I hate it's the comparing, whole discussion. It's comparing apples with oil slicks, you know. They're, they're very different things. <laughs> apples yes. and oranges are very similar, people. Stop, stop fucking saying apples and oranges. They're very similar. Yes, they're, they're both fruit. Uh, so the – yeah, to me, I, I, this is how I look at it. The right answer of which one is better is that's the wrong question. The right answer is what type of game are you making, right? Because if you're making, let's say you're doing like an old school dungeon crawl, like a sword and sorcery type of brutal game. Well, then random scores feel pretty good because the world itself is harsh and random and there is inequity in it, right? And so that's what's going to happen because the, the result of having random ability scores is that you're going to have some people at the table who, table who just randomly got, you know, a better role than other people, right? That's, that's going to happen. You're going to have people not being able to play exactly what they might want, right? So especially if you then layer requirements on top of these scores, like old D&D did, right? Where, where uh, I think the requirements for a first edition bard we're like a strength, dexterity, and intelligence, and a charisma of 15. And then like a wisdom and a con of like 10 and 12. Or yeah. something. It's crazy. Yeah, it was I mean, it had like five spread, yeah. or six requirements. So the point being is that it got, it, it can make certain things in your game forcibly rare, right? Yeah, there, it, it, it can, can add a barrier of entry. Um, yes. which is interesting and but the, the the problem with the the problem now with with the random generation though is you have these big swings because it's so random you can i mean people can end up with a character that's they're just that person is not gonna have fun with so yep. that's a risk you take when adding that kind of a system in your game at the same time as the benefits of you know having those barriers of entry that that create a, a mystique about a character class and you're like oh it's a bard you don't see them very often that's that's awesome you gotta play one whatever that's awesome that's good that's a good yep. thing, but then there's also the bad thing where is where the guy can only play a fighter because he managed to get an eleven on strength and lower than nine on everything else, right? <laughs> good God, just yes, the worst sick case scenario, sure. And I think most GMs wouldn't allow like even going right, you all the way would back. Let them re-roll at that yeah. point, yeah. Uh, and and usually you know it, it, your group's gonna be like, yeah, yeah, that's stupid. Don't play that. And you know, roll again. But you but still I'm just raise saying, the point. It's a possibility, yes. though. You know, yep, it, it can shoehorn you in. You can, regardless of whether or not it's that sort of apocalyptic scenario, right? right. You could easily have the I'm shoehorned into a specific thing. I really wanted to be A, but because of what I rolled, I have to be B, right? Or, or yeah. yeah, using the uh, apocalyptic scenario only for emphasis here. Yes, exactly. Bit of a straw man, but that's intentional. Um, the I think you're exactly right. I and. But the advantage is, you know, like you said, it's that it's that or like it's that forced rarity in the world. It's that uh, mystique that it creates. It's such a good word you pick there, other than being a cool character in the X Men. Right. Uh, <laughs> it's it's also true. Like that is really a thing. If everything is equally choosable, okay. If you can be any character or race or whatever it happens to be, if you can be all that stuff equally. That's fine. That gives you a great amount of sort of narrative control. But then you show up. To, you can't say then, 
something is really rare because the players won't feel it. Even if there's, imagine a world where you're saying there's no wizards, okay? Or they're like, it's very rare. Being a wizard is super rare. It's like being a wizard in sort of Tolkien's world, right? It's, mm-hmm. there aren't really wizards. There are just these ancient beings that a few of them have these magical powers. It's not, it's not something that people actually have in the world, right? Right, but if you could just say, I want to play one and then you can. Right. Uh, that's not rare. That like, they removes that feeling. Exactly. It doesn't matter if they never encounter one in the world. The players will still feel like it's a pretty even choice with everything else because uh, in the player group, it doesn't adhere to that that sort of uh, spread that the rest of the world does. Jedi, I think, in, in uh, various Star Wars incarnations mm-hmm. have often run, it, run afoul of this problem, right? It's a big, big problem, yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, I, I think by making those ability scores random, you can, and then having forced requirements, you can do that. But we've wandered somewhat far afield, so let me bring this back. The advantage to having the chosen things, as you said, is exactly, it gives you that your character's that authorial control. I think it's not only about the type of game you want to design, that's important, but I think when you use these different methods of ability score generation, you also have to be upfront, and this is where I get to like we've talked before about you know having sidebars or explaining things to your, you know, you putting in your author intent so that the GM and and the players understand what you're going for, because you have to then set the expectations that the players bring to the table. When I look at a game that has random ability score generation, the expectation I bring to the table is. I'm going to let the game decide who I am in this world. I'm going to accept a wider variation of what characters are like and the relative power of the party. I'm going to let I'm going to let this experience happen, right? I'm going to ride the ride. Yeah. And I'm going to go along with it and I'm going to make my fun out of what what happens, right? Um sort of like when you just you go on a road trip and you just kind of drive and you don't really have a super destination like you know, yeah, we're going to California, but we're to kind of see what happens along the way. I'll stop and see some landmarks, whatever happens. Yay fun. When you allow the authorial control of just being able to choose any score or whatever, and there's no real cost to it, I can just say, this is what I am. Or, or at most, maybe there's like some opportunity cost where I can't be like, I can't just be the best at everything. Right. But I can be the best at something. You know, I get to choose like best in A, but then I can't choose. I have to choose good in B and average in C and crappy in D yeah. or whatever. Um, Whereas on the random side, guess what? You can be good at everything if you're really lucky. You're really lucky. Yeah, exactly. Um, When you're in that kind of more balanced setup, uh, what that tells me is I have a lot of authorial control, but I have to accept that my character is in the end no more real special than anybody else at the table in what the world has deigned, right? It's special. the, The amount of uniqueness and specialness is going to rest completely in what I invest not from the mechanics of the game. It's going to be in yeah. the story, the character, the feeling that I invest into it, right? Not in what the game, the specialness the game grants me. So, yeah, that's that's what I would say about that. I agree. I think uh, I think you're right on with that, my friend. That's uh, a solid breakdown. You got anything else to add? I don't know. I, I feel like that covers a lot of ability score things. Uh, I guess here's here's my one final thought that I want to, to, t- to think about with ability scores. Uh, Travis, what do you think your best ability score is? My best ability score? Yeah. Oh, boy. Um, wow. Oh, that's a hard question, man. Um, my best <laughs> ability score has got to be my... Uh, 
wait a minute. I can't tell you because I don't know how we define this game. Exactly. I don't care. You just you get to pick using any ability score you like. What's your best ability score? Define the score and put a put a a number or a score on it somehow. Uh, I definitely have a spirit of seven. That, there I mean, that's go. got to be my highest ability score. How about you, buddy? So you're a very spiritual person. That's what you're telling me. You are uh, in touch. No, that's just a part of it. That you know, it's kind of a blanket ability score. So sure, you know, I, your chakras are aligned. Yeah. Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, I well, if it's me. Clearly, uh, my undesigned score is at like a uh, a D32. So I'm pretty happy about that. I feel like it could get D32 better. Solid. But yeah, I feel like D32 undesigned score. So there you go. Is that undesigned? Uh, th- that sounds good. Uh, I'm going to say that's undesigned, my friend. Undesigned. Undesigned. Thank you very much, everybody. See you next time. Thank you.